It's Tuesday, November 7th. Welcome to Mark Fuller. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Share Advisor and from Million Dollar Portfolio, not the US one, the one in Australia. It's Scott Phillips. How are you? Chris Hill, good day. I'm very well. It's How so are you? good. It's always good to see you. It's good to see you too, mate. Thanks for it's being here. It's a pleasure here. to be here. Uh, Scott is here. Well, Scott's welcome anytime, but uh, it's Foolapalooza this week. It is our annual meeting, which is Thursday and Friday, which is uh, my way of leading up to letting listeners know it's going to be a short week on Market Foolery. There will be no Thursday episode. But you know what? You're going to get twice the episode today because it's Scott Phillips. No, no pressure, Chris. Thank you. Uh, no, none whatsoever. <laughs> uh, we're gonna we're gonna get into investing in Australia, but I wanted to start with uh, yet another bad day for Blue Apron. Uh, shares of Blue Apron down fifteen percent uh, after the CEO came out and said, "Hey, that new fulfillment center we have in New Jersey, boy, does that thing cost a lot of money." Um, and that combined with layoffs, combined with just. I, I, I was. We were talking about this before we started taping. I, back in July, I asked the question: What is the f- shortest amount of time a company has gone from their IPO to being taken private? And I wasn't being a hundred percent snarky in asking that question. I'm genuinely curious about that because yeah. I really do think Blue Apron might be the most woefully unprepared public company in the last, certainly in the last decade. This has been an awful ride, Chris. Your listeners know only too well because I know you guys cover this regularly. It's fallen about two thirds since listing, and that is just an absolutely awful performance for a company that should have had so much promise. What the company does, think about the the meal, the home meal replacement stuff. Think about the food delivery stuff. This is supposed to be the sweet spot of the new economy, and Blue Apron just keeps falling over itself time after time after time. And back in July. Blue Apron had one of those days as a bunch of, they're not alone in this regard, but Blue Apron had a sudden drop in mid July when the news came out that Amazon was looking into the, you know, they had registered a trademark for their own meal kit. And Blue Apron is not the first nor the last company that will suffer a sudden drop just based on Amazon delving into their news. But we were chatting. I didn't realize that Amazon essentially doesn't operate in Australia, Australia, although it is coming soon, right? Right, not yet. So it has a website for Kindle books and Audible, but the physical distribution center, the physical products, Australians use Amazon a lot, but we all order it from Amazon US or UK. It's coming to Australia probably by Christmas, and retail stocks have absolutely been hammered this year because investors are just clearing the decks, trying to get out of the way, a la Blue Apron, a la everything else. The carnage that Amazon has caused in the US and around the world is coming to Australia, and it's coming pretty soon. Investors are notably and, frankly, realistically worried. So, is there any sort of significant e-commerce player in Australia, sort of homegrown right now? There's one called Kogan. So, it's an entrepreneur who basically took the model and said, I can do this myself. And he started from selling TVs that he he got made for him under the Kogan brand in China. Uh, He got them made for him, bought over here, cut out the middleman, that kind of model. So, think about Amazon Basics, for example. It's kind of that broad idea. But he's built an e-commerce platform the business is now worth over, I think, three or four hundred million dollars, which is not much in U.S. terms, but pretty big in, in Australia. Um, he's doing a really good job of taking share from the incumbents. I think he'll be okay. It's the incumbents I'm really worried about. So the likes of our versions of Circuit City and Best Buy, uh, JB Hi-Fi and Harvey Norman, those are two businesses that own the market. And so 
if you own the market and someone else comes and says, I'll have a slice of that, thank you very much, they're the ones who are most likely to lose. And as we know, operating leverage when it comes to investing is a really powerful force when it's growing. When it's going backwards, it can be really painful. So if you've got a lot of stores, if you've got a lot of products, if you've got a lot of costs, a la, as I said, Circuit City and Best Buy to a lesser extent, you're really in the frame. And they're the two businesses people are most worried about. But everything from auto parts through to groceries, anything Amazon could touch, investors just panicked about saying, hey, we're getting out of this and waiting to see what happens, waiting to see how bad the carnage is before diving back in. So let's go back to Blue Apron for a mm. second, because you your day job is working on services, share advisor, million dollar portfolio. Yeah. Whether it is, and we'll just use Blue Apron as an example here, but when you, as an investor, see a company getting hit like this, yeah. what has to happen in your mind for to make you say, I'm going to buy this thing? Because absolutely, tomorrow when the market opens, there will be people buying shares of Blue Apron. Yeah thinking to themselves, among other things, well, there's no way this thing can go even lower, or come on, this is being oversold, this yeah, is, yeah. you know, and and various things like that. What makes you pull the buy lever yeah. on a stock that has fallen fifty percent or in this case, <laughs> you know, upwards of seventy percent? Yeah, there's two types of people who see these things. Half of them say the price has fallen, it's a bargain. The other half say the price has fallen, I'm not going anywhere near it. And that's, as you say, the, the internal question. Warren Buffett talks about buying great businesses on the operating table, and I think the clue is in the first half of that phrase. It's great businesses, and I don't think Blue Apron has proven that it is one of those businesses. It has a fantastic tailwind in terms of how consumers are shopping, how we're eating. The, frankly, we're all time poor. The ability to, to, to get something delivered at home that tastes good, is fresh, is easy to eat, you, you kind of want that right conceptually. But you've got that tower when you still can't make this work. That's yeah. kind of the, you know, as an outsider looking at this, I'm thinking, well, you want to see some sense that this is working. I mean, sales are up a little bit, but costs are up even more. The distribution center is not working, cost of goods were up. It feels like a, an idea without a functional business model just yet, or at least not one that I feel like going near. So I want to see either a really strong brand that can survive this, and I don't think Bro Apron has that. Or I want to see an operational business that seems to have some benefit of, of, of growth that's falling to the bottom line. The top line isn't growing anywhere near fast enough, and the bottom line is going backwards. There's not a, Unless you believe in the, in, the, in the story and you're happy to buy this as a story stock kind of idea, which is rarely a great idea unless you believe there's a, a market that it can actually capture. And so if you're buying the story, you want a great quality business. Or you want something that's actually delivering, even if the quality isn't great. And it's neither of those two things. I think Blue Apron's maybe it goes well from here, but it's going to. If it does, it'll be despite itself, not just not because of anything you can see on the numbers or the operating business just yet. A starting point for a lot of investors in the U.S. when they are looking at other countries and just sort of thinking, well, I, I don't know that I want to go into stocks there because I'm not living there. I, I I'm just going to look for some sort of exposure for a lot of people. A basic ETF is a starting point, yeah. at least in terms of thinking. If you're buying an ETF in Australia, are you? I'm assuming you're getting a lot of exposure to banks and commodities. Yeah, you really are, Chris. Look, we love index funds at the full. We're the same in Australia. We would love to think you can simply buy a diversified index and get started investing that way. And that's normally our advice. But as you said, almost half of the Australian market by market capitalization is banks and insurers. So, you know, the idea of an index is you're getting a diversified basket. You're really in Australia getting a concentrated basket, 50-odd percent, 45% in, in banks, another 15% in commodities, in mining companies. So, almost $2 in three is in two industries, and that's the exact opposite of being diversified. For most investors in Australia, there's a couple of ways I would say people would go about it. The first is you can buy our what we call a small ordinaries index. So, the all ordinaries is the big market. Um, the small ordinaries, a little bit of a play on words, 
other smaller companies. And that gives you, yes, a bit more volatility on a company level, but a much broader diversification of industry. So that's one way to look at it. The other way, quite frankly, is to think about, as we do, is, is stock picking. So when I say to investors in Australia, diversify, I'm actually telling them to buy some US indices to, to get that exposure. So yes, buy the ASX 200 or the All Ordinaries Index, but also buy the S&P, buy, buy something that's global or US-based because you get that diversification that we can't get at home. But if you are going to be an international investor looking at Australia, if you want banks and miners, then great. Make sure it's a small portion of your portfolio. Or if you don't, look at some of the other parts of the market, the smaller end of the market. The small ordinaries is the 101st to 300th largest company in Australia. So you're avoiding that big, overweighted banks and miners, and you're getting a really nice breadth of high-quality, fast-growing, but a bit more volatile companies in Australia. I think it was either last year or the year before that your colleague in Australia, Matt Joss, was here in the studio. And one of the companies we talked about was Domino's and how popular Domino's is in Australia and how well that business is doing. What I didn't realize is that it's actually a different Domino's. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's not the I mean That's it's right. it's related to the one yeah. in the US and it may have started that way, but it's actually Domino's Pizza Enterprises. It's a separate company and therefore a separate stock. Yeah, entirely different business, Chris, but it started in the same place. It paid a royalty to the US business. I think that's done now. So it's an individual business, but this is such a stunning company. Um, and people talk about it as a tech company that happens to sell food. I think that's a bit much of a stretch, but Domino's has pushed down the price of pizzas. It's ex- it's, it's sped up the pace of delivery. It has absolutely destroyed Pizza Hut in Australia. So when I was a kid, it was all about Pizza Hut and Domino's was this small challenger brand. Over the last 15, 20 years, and admittedly it's been a bit longer than that since I was a kid, um, it's, it's been, a, it's been it just, they've absolutely just destroyed the rest of the competitors by being cheaper, by being faster, by being hotter. All those things that you just, you know, they say retail is detail, and I kind of feel like for food delivery, it's kind of the same thing. And they've just driven prices down, they've improved the quality of the food. They're just giving you a much better experience. Their social media stuff is brilliant. Their app stuff is brilliant. They've learned all of those lessons and said, yes, we're a food company, but winning is not just about a pizza. It's about all the stuff that goes with it. It's fast delivery. It's cheap. It's easy. It's quick. It's online. Um, they've, they've just done a, you know, they've absolutely put the other guys to shame in a very, very big way. Um, unfortunately for me, I was very clever. I bought Domino's at $6. It's now $45, which is brilliant, except I sold it at $13. <laughs> So, and any any Motley Fool Australia share advisor members listening to this are, are, are throwing things at, at their at their phone. They're feeling my pain. Um, we thought we were really clever. We saw same source sales grow nicely. Shares doubled, and the same source sales kind of started to decline. The growth rate started to decline just a little bit. And I thought I'm cleverer than this. I can see this coming. I'll sell. And you know what the key lesson here is? I massively undervalued the quality of management. And and it's a lesson that has paid off in spades since then, because we had a lot of multi-baggers since then where I've gone, you know what? I'm not being scared out of this by some growth or by a PE that might look a little bit too expensive. This is high-quality business, high-quality management team. Sure, you know, sales will, will ebb and flow, but if you're onto a good thing, you want to stick to it. You want to stay with the great businesses, the great companies. Domino's isn't quite Amazon. It's not quite not quite Tesla or, or, or Facebook, but it's a really high-quality Australian business that I just I kick myself every second day for having sold. What did you do with the money? Because that's that's always, that's always the thing. It's like we, you know, one of the things we say is sell a stock when you feel like you have a better place for the money. Did yeah. you did you take the money and put it into something 
better? I, or I, look, I, I, I will. I'm not I trying will. to rake you over the call. I'm just, I'm genuinely curious when that You're, happens. Yeah, listeners, Chris is getting me back for having a go at him before the program no. started. Just, just for the record, Chris has taken the opportunity to to slowly drag me across the coals. No, I, look, I don't know specifically what I did with that cash. I will say, without bragging too much, Share Advisor in Australia was doing very well. So members have been well served, despite my stupidity on that one. Um, corporate travel management, one of our better picks, is up is a ten bagger for us, which is which is kind of cool. So we've had we've had some good successes. I'm happy to say. Um, I don't know exactly what I did with that particular money, but I, fair to say it would have been harder to to, to offset the four-odd bagger since I sold. So I'm probably still behind just a bit. Um, one of the uh, industries, uh, obviously not as big as banks or miners, that you, you were t- telling me about this morning that's really taken off, and just to close the books on, on Domino's Pizza Enterprises, <laughs> oh, thank you. that's a stock That's a stock that's done quite well. Oh, yeah. It's, it's been fantastic. Yeah. Um, but infant formula. Yeah. The infant formula business has taken off in Australia, and as a result, infant formula stocks as well. If the graduate was made today in Australia, Chris, it would be buy infant formula. No, no <laughs> plastics. It's all about infant formula. Ben, ben I, I have, <laughs> I have two words for you: infant formula. There you go. See, you've got it right there. This is a so the big trend here is China, and and we all know that the China story has been going for a long time. And most people think China, they think iron ore, or they think copper, or they think the industrial commodities that 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 power China's economy. One of the big stories, I think, over the next 10 or 20 years will be the growth of the middle class there. And that's not new news, but it's playing out in Australia with infant formula. And so the Chinese who have had their own challenge with tainted infant formula in the past with Chinese-made formula are looking somewhere else. And for better or worse, Australia is seen as clean, green, high food standards, you know, a regulatory authority, regulatory testing that really is second to none. And so China's looking at that and saying, well, I'll have some of your infant formula, thanks very much. And so the companies that have made a run in in China with infant formula, Bellamy's is one, A2 Milk is another in Australia, and a couple of little guys that are trying, Bubs Australia is a third, they're trying to tap that market. And if you can, if you, we all know, if you make it big in China, you'll do very, very well. But for small Australian companies who have found a beachhead there, that's really been a big, big part of the story. And they've done spectacularly well over three or four years. Um, so when I introduced you, I mentioned that you, um, you work on ShareAdvisor, million dollar portfolio of those services. Um, I left out, you know, for me, one of the most fun things, which is that you host Motley Fool Money. <laughs> you're, you're the co-host of, for those who don't know, Motley Fool Money exists here in the U.S., but it also exists in Australia as a weekly podcast you and Andrew Page do. They say good artists copy and great artists steal. Chris, <laughs> I, have, I have taken a leaf straight out of that book, and I've said, Chris and the team run a fantastic podcast called Motley Fool Money. What will we call ours in Australia? And we were very inventive and came up with Motley Fool Money. So, it's, yes, we do it in, in concert with Triple M, one of the big radio networks down in, in, uh, in Australia. We do Motley Fool Money as a, as a weekly podcast. Not quite as good as your version, but we do we do okay, we reckon. I think it's great. It's, it's one of the podcasts that I uh, subscribe to, and it's available here in the U.S. and uh, all over the world. And anywhere you, know, anywhere you find podcasts, you can find Motley Fool Money, um, the U.S. version and the Australian version. Um, and uh, I think you and Andrew just do a great job of just sort of uh, capturing the news of the week and, and having some fun along the way. Um, and you actually get to do it in a like a grown-up radio studio, and <laughs> we have a, we have a nice cool. studio here at the Fool. It's just I don't know. I, 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 every time I hear your show, I just think, what does that studio look like? <laughs> like what? 
it's, they're they're in like a grown up operation down in Australia, down I'll, in Sydney. I will co-opt your uh, your Twitter feed, Chris, and I'll send you a photo that you can tweet out to your followers of, of a photo of the of the studio with Andrew Page holding a coffee mug because I have one of those on my phone. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it's, it, look, it's good fun. It's it's a great podcast. Nowhere near as polished as yours, and, and we certainly don't hold a candle to, to Motley Fool Money US, but we, we do our best. It, it's it's good fun. We try and bring some foolishness to Australian listeners who maybe don't find the Motley Fool any other way. Um, we have a, a really important purpose, as, as as your listeners will know, and so that's our way of trying to you know, spread, spread a bit of the, the foolish word to, to the masses. Well, and for listeners in the US and elsewhere, um, one of the things that you and Andrew do is you guys do a great job of providing insight on the Australian economy, talking about, among other things, housing and just you know how how big and important that is to the overall economy. Yeah, look, it, it, the housing market is true. So, the Australian economy is doing really well across almost any measure you could... You could it's, not, it's not knocking it out of the park, but if you think about being through what you guys call the Great Recession, we call the global financial crisis, uh, when we went through a mining bust, and the Australian economy has still got reasonably low unemployment, reasonably good growth, low inflation, it's in a pretty good spot. The risk in Australia is what you guys went through in the Great Recession, which is we have very inflated house prices. And so, if there is a, a big watch out on the horizon, it is house prices. And if we see a particular spike in unemployment or a massive slowdown in resources to China, for example, that could precipitate that. And if, if there's any worries, my biggest worry is there's not a lot to worry about. Everything's looking really good right now, but that's exactly when you want to be, as, as a kind of slightly contrarian, looking for the, the risk. The risk might just be that everyone's positive. And that often is a sign of peak kind of, not euphoria, but but peak optimism. Uh, and that's when you want to be a little bit careful to see what's coming down the pike, and it might just be house prices. Uh, two quick things before we wrap up. Uh, first, I want to say uh, thanks to uh, one of our members, Matt Banner, and his daughter, Emily, who are visiting here today. So, thanks so much for coming to hang out with us Absolutely. at Fool HQ. Uh, secondly, uh, once again, The Motley Fool, this is a, a shout-out for uh, DC Area Fools. On Saturday, November 18th, The Motley Fool is one of the main sponsors for the annual Run for Shelter. This is a 5K race and a fun run for kids and a 10K race as well that benefits the Carpenter's Shelter here in Alexandria. And uh, I'm going to be running it. Uh, Christine Hargis from in- Industry Focus is going to be running it. Uh, we got uh, so far, we got about 20 people from the company who have signed up for this. You're not still going to be in town. Are I you? Wait. Thankfully for all of us, I'm not <laughs> going to be in town. Your, your listeners can come along knowing they won't run into me. <laughs> I-, I hear you're going to set a personal best though, Chris. Um, that's absolutely not true. No, I'm I'm still recovering from the from the Marine Corps marathon. Oh, mate, that's so, so impressive. I'll be I'll be going at a nice leisurely pace. Um, but uh, if if you want to join us, please do. It's a great it's a great event. It's a lot of fun. There are going to be a lot of fools out there, and uh, it's a, it's a great charity. So um, you can go to carpentersshelter.org, all one word, carpentersshelter.org. And it's Saturday, November 18th, so come on out and join us. Uh, you can also, if you want to learn more about investing in Australia, you can go to fool.com.au, which is the Motley Fool's website in Australia. And absolutely check out Motley Fool Money, the Australian version. It is a weekly podcast that comes out uh, every Friday, right? Correct. And uh, I, I had to think, because for you it's Friday, I think technically we get it on Thursday. It's probably your Thursday night, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Thursday night it loads on my phone. So, um, uh, so yeah, definitely check out Motley Fool Money uh, to hear more from Scott Phillips and Andrew Page. Thanks so much for being here. Really, I know, I know how busy you are when you are here, because everyone wants some of your time. So, I appreciate you coming in the studio. Chris, Michael Fool is one of the highlights of my day, so I'm, I'm more than welcome. I, I very much appreciate the opportunity. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you tomorrow.